Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. And it is good to see some familiar faces. Uh, I'm glad that my wife could make it with me this time. Uh, Last time, she had to turn back partway down because one of our kids got sick in the back of the car. So she is glad to be here today. Uh, I want to introduce you to my family off the bat. For those of you who haven't met us before, uh, I've got my beautiful wife and uh, two kids with one on the way. I think we got a picture. That's them. They're really cute. Uh, Haven is our oldest. She's three years old. And then James is one and a half. Uh, and then our next boy is coming. We're trying to figure out names. So if you get a name from the Lord, bring it on, because we're fairly indecisive right now, and we could use some help. So uh, we're thrilled to be here, but we're also here with some of our extended family, which is uh, our group of people called the Young Adults. So we've got our crew of Antioch Young Adults out here in the crowd. There's about 60 of them that have been down in Austin this weekend and just loving your city. Y'all have an amazing city, uh, and you guys are planted in an amazing area of town. Uh, we went out yesterday and did a carnival, kind of like you guys did last week. We actually, the exact same thing. We were just like, hey, that worked for y'all. We're going to copy paste. And so <laughs> we, we went out and um, uh, walked around in the neighborhoods. And I was pleasantly surprised that I spoke more Spanish than I did English when I was going door to door inviting people in. I was like, that shows, and that's just so J.D. and Liz, man. They, they from the get-go, and, and Moses and, and the Weibles and the rest of y'all's staff and crew, that they want to be a people that would reach all people of every uh, shape, size, ethnic background, race, language, and everything in between, because that is a beautiful picture of heaven. And so as I look out over this crowd even today, uh, I see a beautiful picture of heaven. Uh, And I'm excited to share with you all today. I'm going to share about what it means to be successful, Uh, uh, what it means to be successful. Now, I doubt that there's many of you in the room that walked in today and thought to yourself, I don't really want to be successful in life. I think most of us would say, if not all of us, we want to be successful. Anybody want to be successful in life? Okay, great. Now, I know I know JD's out, so you're kind of wondering, hey, what's this guy's rule of thumb? I, I, I actually, in, in a lot of things, I, I like to be better than JD, and, and it's, not, it's kind of a low bar most of the time. Um, <laughs> but one thing I really admire about him is that he likes to engage with the audience. And so y'all know his favorite saying that, that church isn't like what? It's not like golf which means you can talk back, you can clap, you can hoop, and you can holler because it's going to be a fun day to be in church today. Amen? Amen. All right, give an amen anytime throughout the sermon. So we're going to be talking about what it means to be successful. But the problem with successful, or if you were to ask somebody on the streets, what does it mean to be successful, you'd get a number of different answers, wouldn't you? And so to start this off, I want to do a little crowd participation for what it means to be successful. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list off a name, a well-known name, and you guys are either going to cheer if you think this person was successful or boo if you think that person was a total loser. You ready for this? We'll start with some low-hanging fruit just to totally divide the crowd. Justin Bieber. Okay, a lot of high-pitched hoops and then some lower-pitched boos. Okay. Uh, How about that fella LeBron James? Okay, same, same. How about Oprah Winfrey? All right, Serena Williams, Steve Jobs, oh, we got an Android fan, I heard a boo, what about Bill Gates, okay, Jeff Bezos, now, not a lot of reaction, but did you know that Jeff Bezos just passed up Bill Gates as the richest man in the world, 
He, he owns a small company, you might have heard of it, called Amazon. Uh, he is the CEO, I should say, of Amazon. Uh, how about Einstein? Okay. So there's a few that everybody agrees on, several that people are fairly polar, polarly uh, divided. Uh, and what that leads me to believe is that we need a, a, a greater clarity on what is success. You know, most of those people that I listed off kind of have four main things in common. Number one, they got a lot of money. They got a lot of money, most of them, except for Einstein. I don't know how much money he has. <laughs> they got a lot of money, which means they were, they have a lot of achievements. They money, they got achievements, which means they probably didn't fail a whole lot in life. <laughs> like they were good at not failing. Money, achievements, good at not failing. But if you were to look at their lives, and not just like the lives that we see on social media, not just the lives we see portrayed by the media, but, but if you were really to look at their lives, do their lives look filled or do their lives look empty? Do their lives, and maybe the better question is, their lives look filled with stuff, <laughs> but do their lives look fulfilled? Does the purpose of their lives look fulfilled? Or do the rich oftentimes have that, that phrase, more money, more Right? More achievements. What do achievements lead to? Yes, might be successful in some eyes, but does that bring joy? Does that bring fulfillment? I would argue that it doesn't. And more importantly, if we just look at these kind of three things and say, how much, how much money does it equal? How much achievements does it equal? How much status does it equal? Do you have to get to to equal success? Let's start with money. How much money is enough money? J.D. Rockefeller, famous a uh, lot, a lot of money, and he was asked the question, how much money is enough money? And you know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I heard a quote recently of a young boy asking his dad, hey, dad, is $60,000 a lot of money? The dad thought about it for a second, looked back at his son and said, it is until you make it. Now, some of y'all are like, 60K is a good deal any day. Others of you know that because you were thinking that too when you graduated college and then you got that job at 60K and you realized that that didn't fulfill you. That didn't lead to the successful life that you were hoping for. And furthermore, if we have to achieve X amount of achievement, X amount of money, then there's only a, a handful of people that will actually be, ever be successful. And the rest of us will be just striving for unattainable level of success. So what I want to look at today is, is based off this question. What if I could tell you today that every single one of you in this room could be successful? And not only successful at the end of your life, but what if every single one of you could leave today, make some choices for the rest of the day, and tonight go to bed and look back and say, I was successful. I believe that when we look at the Word of God, that that's what we can discover, is that success is not just for the rich. It's not just for the famous. It's not just for those who have achievement. It is for everybody. But we need to redefine what success means. Can we do that today? Y'all ready for a new definition or do you like the old definition? Okay, new definition. Good, good, good. So let's do this. We're going to open our Bibles to where I'm sure many of you spent your quiet times this morning. Second Kings. Second Kings, which is quickly becoming a favorite book of mine. Normally I dwell more in the epistles. I love Paul and I love the Gospels. Uh, but recently, God's been doing, uh, in me personally, just uh, revealing a lot of himself through the Old Testament scriptures. So 2 Kings is in the Old Testament, and it's the tales of many of the kings of Israel. 
Uh, and we're going to get to pick up in chapter 18. So chapter 18, if you turn your Bibles there. And we're going le- to learn about a king named Hezekiah. Turn to your neighbor and say Hezekiah. Now turn to your other neighbor and say King Hezi. Okay, so if you forget it, King Hezi. We can just go with that. That's what J.D. probably calls him anyways. And we're going to learn about King Hezekiah today. So the, the reason why I found this is the other day I was, I was spending time with God and I was praying and this prayer came into my mind, Lord, I pray that I would be successful. And I paused, and I thought to myself, am I allowed to pray that? <laughs> am I allowed to pray, Lord, make me successful? And so I was like, well, certainly I can find the answer in Scripture. So I did what every biblical scholar does, and I flipped open my Bible to the back of it to this little place called the Concordance. And I looked up the word successful. And that turned me to 2 Kings, where I learned about this man named Hezekiah. So we're going to pick up in 2 Kings 18, verse 5, and it says this. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. That'd be kind of a cool resume. There was no one like him, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And then verse 7, the key part. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Let's say that together. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Now, what would that look like in your life for you to be successful in whatever you undertook? What if your success wasn't actually contingent upon whether or not you passed or failed, whether or not you achieved or made money, but was contingent upon something more? When we look at this this passage about Hezekiah, we can see three key attributes about his success. Number one, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. I know in my own life, there was a time when I was not trusting in the Lord. And what that led to was a life that looked like I didn't trust in the Lord. It was not fulfilled, it was filled, and it was filled with a whole lot of junk, a whole lot of brokenness, a whole lot of dysfunctional relationships. And it took learning to trust in the Lord to transform that. Number two, he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands. Number three, and he was successful. So let me explain a little bit about what's going on in this. And if you're like, I haven't read 2 Kings in a while and or ever, and so what's happening in this passage? Uh, and I'll have to kind of break it down into, into the modern day so that it kind of translates a little bit. But basically, the, the kingdom of Israel, which were the people of God, are divided in half. You've got the northern region that's still called Israel, and then the southern re- region that's called Judah. So the northern region at this point in time, was ruled by a separate king than, uh, than the kingdom of the south, which is Judah. So, so picture it like the United States. You've got the north of the United States, and you've got the south of the United States, uh, and, and they're divided. And so here, what's happening is that the Assyrians, this, this people group from the north, are invading. So they're coming in from the north. It'd be like Canada invading. Now, I know that would never happen because it wouldn't go very far, but it, it's like Canada's coming down, and they're invading the north. And so it says this. It says, and this is going to contrast, this is going to be a difference, this is going to be a contrasting picture of, the, of what Hezekiah did compared to the king of the north. It says, king, in King Hezekiah's fourth year, so now he's been, in, he's been reigning for four years, it says, the king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Halah. What that means is that the king of Israel, the king of the north, got beaten by the Assyrians and got deported, in other words, he got removed from the north of the United States into Canada, into Assyria, right? And so we, we get into this, and it says this about why, why did the, the northern Israelites, the, the kingdom of Israel, get deported? It says this. This happened because they had not 
obeyed the Lord their God. This had happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God. Remember Hezekiah, he obeyed and he was successful in whatever he saw. Now this king, uh, king of Israel says he did not obey. He violated the covenant, it says, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. And so for that question that I said at the beginning, what does it mean to be successful? If you've been wondering that question, what does it mean for me to actually come out of the day winning? Hezekiah just showed us that it boils down to one simple word. Obey. The success of our life, the only hinge factor, the key ingredient to us living a successful day, week, month, year, life, is whether or not we obey to God. In other words, if we are asked to do something and we say yes. Yes, mind you, does not equal passing in doing it. It's not a matter of passing or failing. It's not a matter of achievement. It's a matter of direction. How many of you had a parent growing up that yelled this? Hey, Johnny, take out the trash. Johnny, take out the trash. And you're upstairs hiding. I can't hear you. (laughs) Johnny, Johnny, did you hear me? Nope, just playing my video game. Johnny, are you listening? Yes, sir. I'll go downstairs and take Take out the trash. Did he obey? Yes. Because we all know the opposite of that, where you just say, I didn't hear, and then you never hear, and then your parents come up and give you a little spanking or whatever happened. Disobedience. That is as simple as it is for success. It's a simple yes to what God's asking us to do, even though sometimes we do it begrudgingly, even though sometimes we drag our feet. A yes is a yes in God's book. A no is disobedience. And so if the yes is the foundation of our success, if yes equals success, then what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time today is how do we strengthen our yes? How do we as the people of God, if we want to be successful, strengthen our yes? So in order to do that, we're going to need to continue to read about about Hezekiah. But before I do, I want to think about a people group that you might know of that's pretty good at their yes. And, And I'll be honest, it's a dream to be one of these people, and I, it's been a dream that I've had to, had to have die as I've gotten married and had kids, and that is to be a Navy SEAL. Any other brothers or sisters in the room ever thought about wanting to be a Navy SEAL? That's what I thought. A couple of y'all. I know some of y'all are like, yeah, until they go into that into those bad guys, and I'm like, nope, not doing that. So Navy SEALs have an incredibly strong yes, but it's not like they're born into that. They're trained into that. And so they have this six-month training program that whittles out basically anybody that's not able to be a Navy SEAL. Six months, they're at Coronado Island off the coast of San Diego, and for six months, they face a drill sergeant that's sole desire is to beat them mercilessly so that they will not become a Navy SEAL. One of the things that they do is they wake up every day and they have to make their bed. Now, I'm not talking about make your bed like the way that you did or did not make your bed this morning. I'm talking about making the bed to the most perfect standards you've ever seen. And so the Navy SEAL gets up, or the Navy SEAL in training, gets up, makes his bed, perfect corners. You guys have probably heard this before, some of you. Perfect pillow, perfect blanket down at the bottom. And then the drill sergeant comes up, inspects the bed, and they're looking for just one thing out of place. And even if it's not, probably, they're still going to ream the cadet. And so when they start reaming them, then what happens is you get punished. And the punishment is you become a what? You become a sugar cookie. Now, that doesn't mean that they get to go binge eat on some candy goodness, 
they get to become a sugar cookie, which means they leave their barracks in their boxer shorts, in their sleep shirt, and they jog down to the cold San Diego surf, and they jump headlong into the crashing waves full of great white sharks, full of all sorts of craziness. And just when hypothermia is starting to feel kind of close, they get out, they get up to the sandy beach, and they become a sugar cookie, which means they lay down in the ground and roll around until every square inch of them is covered in sugar, a.k.a. sand. And for the rest of the day, they are a sugar cookie. So for 10-mile rucks, they're a sugar cookie. For every calisthenic, they're a sugar cookie. But day by day, you better believe that if they're becoming a sugar cookie, they're going to get better and better at making their bed. At the end of the day, if we want to strengthen our yes, it starts with making our bed. It starts with the little things in life. We might have massive aspirations to be successful, but if we don't be faithful with the little things, then we have no hope of ever growing to the big things. I'm going to skip ahead for a passage in Luke that says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will be given property of your own? In other words, the little stuff matters when we want to strengthen our yes. And we're going to see the little stuff and big stuff happen as we continue through the story with Hezekiah. So we're going to jump back in in verse 19. Now, the, now at this point, 10 years have passed. Remember the north, been taken over by the Syrians. They've been posted up on the border waiting to invade the south, and, and they did about 10 years later. And so they've invaded, and they've taken over every. So it'd be like they've invaded everything from Oklahoma to Texas, and they've taken over every place from Norman to Dallas to Waco. And all that's left is this little Jerusalem on a hill, and, and, and the king of Assyria is coming right up on it. So it's like Austin, Texas is right smack dab in the middle, and the Syrians are beginning to surround it. And so we're going to pick up on this part where, where the field commander of the king of Assyria, basically his, one of his top dogs, is facing off with uh, King Hezekiah's whole posse. So they're outside the gates, and they're about to have this showdown to see if they're going to back down. Because King Hezekiah had held out. He tried to give him some money and say, hey, go away. And the king of Assyria is like, no, I'm actually going to take over everything. And King Hezekiah is holding out. The king of Assyria says this in verse 19. He says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say that you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Now, when it comes to to being successful and following Jesus, you better believe that the world's going to ask you, on whom is your strength depending? And just like that drill sergeant, they're going to come and try to convince you that you cannot rely on the strength of the Lord. In every way, every shape and the form, in your family, in your workplace, in your relationships, the enemy wants to come in and say, on whom do you say that you have this confidence? Why do you think that you can make it by following Jesus? Skipping ahead, it says this, but if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places the altars Hezekiah removed? What he's referring to is when Hezekiah first came, took over the throne, he kicked out all the false gods out of Judah, and he replaced them with a true God. He, he built the temple. He reestablished, rather, he reestablished the temple. And it says this. This is, again, the head honcho of the Assyrian. He said, come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. 
Okay, now he's really talking smack. Like, this is like super JD moment, right? You all know that JD's love language is talking smack, right? So, so here's the king of Assyria's main dude, and he's, and I'm not comparing JD to the king of Assyria or anything like that, just to be clear. But he's talking smack. He's like, hey, I will even give you horses if you can even put riders on them. But, chump, you don't even have riders if I were to give you horses. Then he goes on. He says, the Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. He's saying, you got a God, I got a God. How many of you know that the world feels like they have the right recipe for success? The God of money, the God of achievement, the God of fame. And how's that working out? They're going to scream, no, that's not what you need. You don't need to be humble and meek like the word of God tells you. Be rich, be powerful, be somebody. And then Eliakim, which is like the assistant, which is basically like um, uh, King Hezekiah's assistant, and Shebna and Joah, it's basically his whole posse, said to the field commander, hey, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. Now, this is just such a comical moment, because he's basically saying, like King's, King of Assyria's posse versus King Hezekiah's posse are facing off, and Hezekiah's crew is like, shh, you're scaring the people on the wall. Could you please speak in our language so that you won't freak them out? Because these guys themselves, you better believe, are freaked out. And then the king of Assyria's guy comes back and he says this. He goes into four do-nots that basically is set to unravel every last ounce of strength that the people of God, the people of Judah are holding on to. He says this. He says, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. When he says the Lord will surely deliver us, this city will not be given in the hands of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. And then he goes on to talk about how, hey, if you come with me, I'm going to give you good stuff. If you stay over there, you're going to continue to be a chump. And then he comes in one more time and he says, do not listen to Hezekiah for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. The Lord will deliver us. He's saying four different things. He's saying, don't listen to the man of God that you're supposed to be following. Don't trust God because he's not trustworthy and he won't provide. I'll provide. Follow me. God won't deliver you, so don't fail. And then he goes on to list off all the other people that have failed, all the other tribes that they've taken over, and he, and he kind of comes into this final one-two punch where he's like, even Samaria did the God of Samaria even save him? Samaria would be like the capital of the north of the United States, the capital of, of, of Israel that had fallen. He's like, did the God of Israel even save them? No, you have no hope. And so you would think at this point that everybody's like freaking out, like, okay, let's just turn it over. Might as well go with him. He's got olive oil and stuff, and we need olive oil, so let's just jump on his wagon. But watch this. We're going to see the first response, the first response that changes everything. Verse 36, but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded them, do not answer him. When, it talk, when we're talking about strengthening our yes, the first ingredient isn't about our, to, the yes equals success. It's not about our finances. It's about our faith. See, faith is believing in something more than you can see, right? Hebrews 11.1 1 says what? It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of the unseen. 
In other words, these people are looking at the enemy coming at them, and yet they're saying, no, I still cling to the faith, and I trust the man of God that I'm supposed to be following. Faith is one of the key ingredients to obedience. And so it goes on, and we're going to see how the people of God respond, but then how does, how does the king respond? In chapter 19, the first part, it says, when King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes. In other words, out of total desperation. He's like, God, we're, 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 we're holed up here. The king of Assyria is beating everybody else. We really have no hope apart from you. <laughs> and so he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth, and it says he went into the temple of the Lord. He sent El- Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah. So they go to the temple and to the prophet. Notice that faith is not the absence of fear. Faith doesn't mean that we have to be fearless. It means that what do we do with our fear is that we place our fear in, the, in front of Jesus and we say, hey, we are putting all the chips on the table because we trust in you. And King Hezekiah's response is beautiful. He responds by going to the temple, the house of God, and to the prophet, the voice of God. When it comes to strengthening our faith, strengthening our yes, we turn to our faith and we go to the house of God with the people of God and we listen to the voice of God. Better known as we learn what it means to abide. We've got faith, believing in the things unseen and we've got abiding, clinging to the vine. Can't you just see Hezekiah, his clothes torn, crying out before the Lord, clinging on to the vine like you wouldn't imagine saying, God, I've literally held out because I have nothing left to hold on to except for you. And this abiding power is such a beautiful picture. This abiding is what it looks like for a branch to be attached to a tree. What it looks like for the, the hand to be attached to the body. It is complete oneness and utter dependence. This abiding is the most one of the most crucial things for us as believers to learn to not only trust in the faith, but learn to stay connected with in Jesus. Obedience is better than achievement. And we're not responsible for the outcome of our lives, the outcome of our achievement. We're responsible for our obedience. And our obedience through abiding leads to fruit in our lives. And that fruit doesn't come from striving, from trying to muster it up, but it comes from abiding in the vine. And the branches. And then Isaiah, representing the, the voice of the Lord, responds, and it says this. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid, verse 6, of what you have heard. Those words, which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, listen. Now, how many of you know that there's a difference between hearing and listening? Hearing, we can all do right now. You are all hearing my voice, unless you're plugging your ears. Listening is something completely different. How many of you have kids and you say, how many of you say to your kid, hey, hear me? No, you don't say hear me. You say, no, listen to me. You know they're hearing you, but they're continuing to do the same thing that they said you said not to do. And so you're saying, no, hey, look at my eyeballs. I say this to my little girl all the time. Hey, look at my eyeballs. And she kind of looks like this. Look at my eyeballs. She looks up. Look at my eyeballs. Finally, I say, put my hands on my face. Put your hands on my face. And she goes like this and looks me in the eyes and I say, listen to me. Okay, Daddy. When she listens to me, she doesn't just hear what I say, but she does what I say. Friends, as the people of God, we can't just be hearers of the word. 
If we're going to be people that abide, we can't just be hearers of the word of God. We need to listen, which means we need to take the word of God. We need to compare it against that which we're hearing. And then we need to apply whatever is happening in our lives. For much of my life, I was a hearer. For much of my life, I sat in church just like this, oftentimes in the back row, and I was, I barely even heard a lot because I was so distracted, I'd be on my phone or whatever. But I was hearing because I was never applying it. It wasn't until I started listening that my life began to change. It wasn't until I began taking what I'd heard in sermons and I started saying, hey, that's not just a good idea. That doesn't just make me feel good. No, if I apply this truth to my life, maybe my life will look different. As abiding, we're called to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so now, Senechera, so it says this, it says, so, sorry, backing up, verse 7, listen. When he hears, talking about the king of Assyria, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there will I have him cut down um, with the sword. In other words, Isaiah is saying, hey, check this out. The word of the Lord is he's about to turn the king back, and then he's going to chop him down. That's a pretty good promise. If you're in Jerusalem and the enemy's at your gates, you're feeling pretty good about that right about then. And so we see immediately something happens. It says, now Sennacherib, that's the king, received a report from an, a, a far-off land, Tirhaka, the king of Cush, was marching to fight against him. In other words, he's being attacked on a different front, and so the enemy leaves. As he's leaving, he looks back and says this, say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you, even when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of Assyria. How many of you know that when the enemy leaves, he looks over his shoulder and says, I'll be back. Like just when you get a little bit of freedom in your life and it feels like the enemy's in retreat, sometimes we hear in the distance, I'll be back. You're not a new self. You haven't changed as much as you have and sometimes that voice comes through our friends. Sometimes that voice comes through our family and says, you haven't really changed. You're not a real new creation. I'm coming back. The enemy's gonna come back and take you right back to where you come from. So check out Hezekiah's response. It's such a dad-son moment, because here is Hezekiah, and he hears the, the other king talking smack, and he's like, ooh, I'm gonna show my daddy. Verse 14, he says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Can't you just see me? He's like, check out what that punk said. <laughs> and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, and thrown between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms. He's declaring the purpose. He's declaring who the identity and character of God is. And he says, you have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord. That the Syrian kings have laid waste to the nations of the land. So he's like, it's true. They've, they've been pretty strong. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they, will not, they were not gods, but only wood and stone. He, so he's saying, it's all worthless. You're the true God. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hands so that the kingdoms of the, of the earth may know alone that you, Lord, are God. I love that his response, his final declaration is not for self-promotion. His final response is instead, God, it's all about you receiving glory. Now let's take that back to success. Do you realize that the success of our life, the sole purpose of that 
is not for your edification, but to give God glory on the earth. Check out God's response. Isaiah comes back, reads through a long list of all the things that God has done, and then towards the tail end, he comes in with the final very God moment and says this, verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 Assyrians in the camp. When people got up the next morning, there were the dead bodies. What? What? Like, hold up. God, I cried out to you, and you fought my battle for me? Wait, I laid it all out there, God, and you glorified yourself by doing the work yourself? Wait, my success on life doesn't have to do with my effort, but has to do with you fulfilling your promises through the strength that only you can do. 185,000 dead bodies and not a single person even left Jerusalem. And if that's not bad enough, so then Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp. (laughs) Yeah, I would break camp too. He withdrew, he returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisarok, that's a great name, his sons, something killed him. Killed him with the sword and escaped to the land of Ariad. There goes Sennacherib. Was Sennacherib successful? He conquered a lot. He was wealthy. He had success on the earth. But at the end of the day, he worshiped the god of Nineveh, Nisarok. And at the end of the day, that led to his demise. He was not a successful man. Because the the Lord God Almighty was not his God. And the strength that he relied on was was of his own, of his own doing, of his own gods, of his own strength, of his own power, of his own finances, not the strength of the everlasting Father. Our obedience is our response to God winning. Our obedience is our response to God winning. You know that the victory of your life has already been attained. The success of your forever, of eternity, has already happened through Jesus Christ. Through him dying on the cross, being raised again, and walking to the fullness. When you accepted that gift, your eternity was established as a success. And now we have an opportunity to respond here on earth with our response to his winning, which is called obedience. Let's stand together. God's success, or rather if our yes to God equals our success, then I believe that in this room, that every single one of you has something in front of you today that God wants to lead you into. Now before you get overwhelmed by the bigness of all the things that you feel like you have to do, know that God is a God of next steps. Proverbs 18.1 says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his what? His steps. My hope today is that every single one of you would leave with a next step of obedience for the Lord so that at the end of the day today, you could go to bed and you could look back and you could ask the Father and say, Father, have I been obedient? And at his response of yes, you can say then today was a success.
So I want to invite you to close your eyes right now. In just a minute, the band's going to lead us into worship, but I want to create what we call a margin moment, a little bit of space, a little bit of time for you to hear from the Lord. So whenever you're ready, if you just ask God, God, what is my next step? he gives you that next step, whatever that may be, I want you just out loud to just say thank you. Thank you for that next step, God. Now if the ministry teams could come forward, prayer teams, this group of people want, want to pray for you. In life where you feel like you might have failed, in life where you might feel like giving up, in life where you might be, be overwhelmed with actual physical problems, diseases, whatever it is, these people want to pray for you, want to pray that that life, that power of the living God would touch your life and your heart. So come forward, whatever your needs are, as they minister to you. And for the rest of the audience that, that don't come forward, as we worship, I want to worship, I want us to worship from that standpoint of our success is for your glory. Would you come and have your way tonight? In Jesus' name.